about the future. Welcome to Future of Marketing, presented by Tint, the world's most powerful user-generated content platform. Each week, we interview leading marketers to uncover their routines, strategies, and perspectives. With the latest in marketing, here's our host, Yvonne Aldaz. Hello, and welcome to Future of Marketing. Today, we have Ryan Peña, paid media and social media supervisor at Be The Match. I had the honor of moderating a recent panel with him, and I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to hear a little bit about the work that he's doing and learn a little bit from him. So, Ryan, thank you so much for joining today. Can't wait to see you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk a little bit about your role. What do you do for a living? What does your typical day look like? Unfortunately, there isn't a typical day because you come in with a list of things that you think you want to, you're planning on accomplishing, and then then the day happens. I think a lot of us can relate to that, but be the match, like you mentioned, that's where I work. And I I think that that is definitely the foundation of what shapes my day. Um, Fortunate to work for an organization that has a very powerful mission, someone I, I look up to, and maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit, but they were talking about taking time for yourself and how at the end of the day, I'm not saving lives. And I, I heard that. I was like, well, that, that is what that is what we do. So it was an odd reflection point, but it's also something to remind myself of a lot because it is a very powerful thing to say that we are working on saving lives. So we're the National Bone Marrow Registry and really getting people like us to join uh, as marketers every day trying to raise awareness to get people to be part of our mission and potentially be someone's life-saving blood stem cell donation. It's a very exciting thing and very powerful thing. Of course, with that, there's a lot of impactful stories that we feature and, and, and bring to life. The day-to-day of my life is really centered around that, making sure that everything that we do is, is making sure that we're impacting the patients that need a life-saving match and finding them a match. So that's through raising awareness and digital properties around the registry and around our missions. I oversee a team that some of the team members work on social media and represent our brand channels on social media. So making sure that we're constantly innovating and evolving there. Then I also work with our paid media agency on our big campaigns that we use for recruitment. And then I'm building another new team that is going to be doing some very specific new groundbreaking work on evolving our registry and, and making sure that we provide equal outcomes for all. So it's, it's a lot. My title, as you probably can tell, is not as indicative as what I actually do, but we're working on that. I've been very grateful for the opportunities that I've had. So yeah, long-winded answer, but I do a few things and, and I love everything I do. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing quite the inspiring work over there. And honestly, I commend you for it. I think it's really awesome. And like you said, you're in marketing, you're not saving lives and yet you are. So it's a really interesting perspective to just be hearing from you today. As far as your marketing use, what blogs and resources do you tend to look for, for inspiration? Yeah, great question. I wish I had a, for lack of a better term, a more traditional answer of just a specific one, but I I cheat. So, you know, there's a lot going on every day and and I'm pulled in all these different directions. And so I kind of need stuff that I potentially would like to be aggregated. So I use basically news aggregates. Google News is my number one app for news, which lets you select the type of things you're interested in, whether it is just global news, nationals, whatever it is, in addition to marketing, digital marketing. So I put in those categories and I have a one-stop shop to just getting updates there. Also, you know, just being kind of rooted in the social media space, I really do get a lot of my news and insights from 
people like you that are in the field as well and putting out information that educates me. I feel like it's more authentic than to hear from others that I've either met with or know of from others that I can trust and, and also learn from and be inspired from. So, so Twitter uh, is a big one for me. Of course, there's a lot of interesting stuff there, but I have that filtered pretty good. And then LinkedIn as well. I, I use that a lot to connect with like-minded individuals in our space to share ideas and learn from as well. I think Twitter is severely underestimated when it yeah. comes to, to marketing news yeah. and networking, right? Exactly. I mean, that's how you, you reached out to me for this. So, I mean, there you go, right there. Perfect. Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. Most of the interviews that I've been having are with people from Twitter. So exactly. over the last year, we've had some very interesting times. Companies have to pivot. A lot of them went online. What's something interesting that you've learned in the last year? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, based on the nature of the work that we do, we're trying to grow the registry as a, a global mission, but for Be The Match, we focus on the U.S. registry. That's our registry. We're always reaching people on digital, and that didn't really change in terms of, of our efforts, but it, it got a lot noisier for us because everyone was online even more than before. So from a marketer to marketer standpoint, there was a lot more things being pushed at people to do. We have a lot of really creative minds here, thankfully. And I think it was by April. So just a month into it, we launched Couch to Cure campaign, which was really amazing to see. And, and it really spoke to the world that we lived in. All of a sudden, we're all having to sit on our couches and wait for this thing to pass by. So knowing that you could actually save a life from your couch was basically this campaign. So that was a really big uh, aha moment. The other thing was we really had seen a lot of success traditionally from searching patient stories. Those were still effective, but they weren't as effective as they had used to be during the pandemic. So we started to kind of play around with donor stories, which weren't as effective before this, but people were looking for more inspirational stories. And sometimes those patient stories, just based on the nature of what they're going through, are tough to watch and uh, they're sad and there was enough sad stuff going on so we wanted to show sort of the efficacy of a donor and how they not only changed the life but saved the life of people and their families through a selfless act and that you can still do that while you are living in a pandemic world so that was a big one the other one that i just want to touch on quickly that's more kind of broad to anyone listening to this i wouldn't say this was because of the pandemic but it was something that we did learn uh, over this past year we, we are, we're trained to follow the guidelines of the big organizations like Facebook and, and others and, and the experts out there. We know that ads should be 15 to 30 seconds because that's what they recommend they are. So we had followed that path for years and we came across some stories last year that were over 30 seconds. One was a minute and 20 seconds. And we felt so strongly about the stories that we pushed back and we actually you know, went with our agency and said, we want to put these in market and into paid ads, even though they were going against the recommendation. They ended up being some of our top performing pieces of paid digital media content that we've had ever. They set all new records. So the, the moral of that story is while it still is from attention span perspective, it still is important for people to have short form content. If you have something that's a really compelling story, it's okay if it's longer than 30 seconds, people will watch it if it does meet the needs of your audience. So that was a good learning that we had as well. Okay. I have a question for you on paid ads now. How do you know when a piece of content is worth putting an investment in? 
It's a really good question because it sounds like it should be a simple answer, but unfortunately it's not. It's a broad answer. You want to obviously go with your expertise, your team's expertise and understanding what's worked in the past and knowing we have something here that's unique. I think that's probably the first element. If you have something that is unique, it really breaks through the noise just on its own because it's something that people hadn't seen before. That's a really good sign, right? Because you typically are going to have something that should be a recipe to break through the noise. But you could have that. And we've had these situations before. Recently, we put one in market that we felt really strong about and it just flopped. We didn't see the ROI, the KPIs that we were looking for within the first few days. And so we stopped it. We looked at analytics and data and heat maps to show people were looking at the website. And we made some tweaks there based on what the data was showing, launched it again, still didn't perform. We did like three different iterations and it still didn't perform in terms of our main KPI that we were driving to. So that was an example of <clears throat> our gut was saying this should work, but it didn't. So while that's looked at as a failure, we're actually still using it as a learning. In addition to what we did, it did increase certain things, just didn't increase our main KPI. We're now doing user testing on the campaign to kind of validate certain user experience things because we tried so many new things in this that we're not sure exactly where the disconnect was. I look at even some of our failing content as wins because we're learning from it. But as long as majority of the time, the stuff that your gut saying should work works, then you're in the right business, you're in the right organization, and you should feel pretty grateful for that. But there's no secret sauce is my short answer because just when you think you've got it, you'll be surprised that things don't resonate for some reason. Oh yeah. And I'm sure a lot of marketers will relate to that. It's like, mm -hmm. you think something's going to work completely flops. And sometimes the things that you th you're just tweeting just for the heck <laughs> yeah, of it, it right. tends to go viral all of a sudden. Humans are just very interesting. So what's something that you think marketers should start doing more on social media? I think this one I'll try to be really short on. The thing that we should do better at is taking a step back, you know, Social media is the noisiest it's ever been. It's the most complicated it's ever been. You've got one platform, you take one platform like Instagram and it's not just a photo sharing app. It hasn't been that for a long time. It's a stories app, it's a IGTV, it's Reels. It's constantly evolving. That's just one platform that you have to kind of figure out. It's not just about figuring out how to do one thing really well on each platform. So it gets really stressful. The thing that I think we can do more of as marketers is take a step away first and just think about how that experience is from a customer, consumer, a user's perspective, someone that's using it casually. You know, as you're using it, hopefully you're using it on your own in your own personal life and just kind of thumbing through stuff. But think about that experience. Think about what gets you to pause. Think about what gets you excited to engage in something or why all of a sudden you clicked on a pair of shoes to potentially just check them out, see what the price is. And then all of a sudden you get bombarded with a bunch of shoes everywhere you look. Think about those experiences. What are the good and bad of those experiences? What's annoying? What's helpful? Use that to your advantage to hone in and fine tune your own strategy. If we don't understand, truly understand away from the data sometimes, how and why people are interacting and having conversations as a team as far as like, what are you seeing, you know, as trends in your own personal channels? What are you seeing as far as interesting ways of consuming content as a human? Then if we don't do that, we're not going to be. Uh, as good as we can be and, and on the front lines in marketing to be competitive because really what we end up doing is getting stuck in the data, getting stuck in the walls of your organization and you start limiting your capabilities of, of innovating and thinking differently, thinking ultimately like a consumer. 
So I think just kind of take a step away and just simplify it a bit and play around with social media on your own and, and see what you, you learn from that. That was a beautiful response. And I completely agree with you. I think in order to be a good marketer, you have to be a consumer of these platforms first. How else are you going to understand exactly. user behavior without you being a user of these platforms? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go on TikTok, for example, if you know you need to go on TikTok because everyone's telling you to do it and you're getting all this pressure and you're like, I need to do TikTok. Well, don't just start an account as a brand and start doing it first. Just take a step back and see what it's all about from your own perspective. Even if you have a private account, just start digging in. You might feel a little weird. You might feel a little old for some of us, but just start digging in and you'll see why pretty soon. And then you're going to be able to make a better decision for your business. And the shiny object syndrome is real when it comes to marketing. Yeah. So you really need to be intentional about where you are and where you're meeting your customers. On that note, what's something that you think marketers need to stop doing? It, it kind of ties into what we were just talking about. I, I feel like it's very easy to get stressed out and worried about all the different platforms and people talking about, well, you know, Clubhouse and TikTok and all this stuff. It's not that you should ignore it because I don't think you should, but I think it's important to just start simple and do your research. But at the same time, even if it's not you, if you don't have the capacity to do that, to dig into something like a clubhouse or a TikTok to kind of see why people are so invested in this and what do we need to know? Also, how is this going to evolve other social platforms that we're currently using? Even that's important. You know, look at someone else in your team or hire somebody that an intern or something that would love to just research this and provide this information to the organization. We did this about two years ago with TikTok as an example, where we first validated that we needed to be there because we saw through our own personal accounts, people were creating TikToks about joining the registry. So they were already using our hashtag and we weren't even there. So we knew we needed to be there at the very least to have conversations with them and let them know that we appreciated them joining. So we started with that for the first several months, we were just commenting back to people, not doing anything else and building that relationship there. So then we started to layer in some other initiatives, but we also started to validate first. We were like, well, what are some crazy people that are on TikTok that you would never imagine would be on TikTok, like businesses? And we found a dentist that was on TikTok and verified and millions of followers. Why was he getting so much attention on TikTok? He was educating people about taking care of their teeth. Who would have thought that would be a great TikTok channel? But it is. People were receptive to it. He did it in a way that fit the platform. So that validated for us that us as a life-saving registry, we should have a space there as long as we're educating and informing people in an entertaining way that's on brand, but also fits the platform. So, you know, just kind of digging in and investigating as an individual, kind of along the lines of what we were just talking about before you go in as a brand. Thank you. You mentioned that your donor stories were performing better and also talking about the whole TikTok component, all of this is user-generated content, all of these stories, like the storytelling component. Why do you think user-generated content is so valuable for brands? You know, there's kind of a theme that we're developing through this conversation, which it's really about that human element. I think the more and more complicated social is going to get, the more and more human we need to get, which is exciting to me because I've been in this for 12 years now as a career and, and I've said it from day one, but now I feel like it's even more important than it ever has been before. So user-generated content goes away from the brand. It tells an authentic story about the brand, about the mission, whatever it is, about the product service that you're doing from the lens of a person that 
has said yes to that mission, that product, that service, whatever it is. And so obviously our situation is even more kind of extreme because it's a patient talking about their need to find someone out there like us watching that could be their only chance for a cure, their only chance for survival. That's pretty tough to hear, but it comes from them and you hear that plea in their voice. You hear a donor like, this changed my life. I never thought that something as simple as sitting in a chair for a few hours donating plasma could actually not only save a life, but change my life. We hear those stories. So it's that authenticity that makes it so valuable for brands, like you said, because people relate to people before they relate to brands. There's tons of studies out there. There's tons of percentages out there, but that's just the way it is. It's human nature. We want to hear from other people that we relate to. And people typically don't relate to a brand unless they're a target or a very established brand like that which unfortunately a lot of our brands aren't. I agree. And that's why employee generated content is also huge. It's because the employees are doing the talking for the brand. It goes back to people trust people more than brands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What common belief in marketing do you disagree with? I mean, there's layers of this, but the short is, you know, that you can predict where social media is going to go. I mean, just look at this past year. I mean, who would have predicted Social media would have evolved this way. I'm sure TikTok's very grateful for it. I'm sure Clubhouse is very grateful for it. Even just a year ago, we weren't talking about Clubhouse. So you don't know what's going to happen. I, I do believe that Clubhouse will likely not exist in a handful of years from now. It'll just kind of get acquired or evolve into some of these bigger platforms like it already kind of is. But you never really know what's going to happen. So I think as marketers, we need to stop sort of predicting the future like I just did about Clubhouse, and make sure that we're less worried about where things are going and more in tune with where things are at right now because you really are in tune with why TikTok's popular, why Clubhouse is popular or was popular, and you understand the why behind it. Whether or not those platforms exist several years from now, you're going to understand the content and why that content is unique and how that content and that content theme is going to evolve expectations from our consumers in the future. While two, three years ago, people were thinking, am I going to have to dance on TikTok in order to sell to my customers? Now they're not thinking that way because they're seeing that there's other things on TikTok that people want to consume. It's not just trending dances. Now they're understanding it. But I saw that three years ago when I started snooping around the platform that it was more than just a platform to dance to trending tracks. You know, again, just stop predicting and just really start being the experts that we say we are in the moment. And that will help us evolve to be ready for the future. I agree. TikTok is probably one of my favorite apps. You yeah. learn so much from that application. Yeah. It's really underrated, just like Twitter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think most marketers tend to struggle with? Focus. I mean, that's probably the number one thing just because there's... Again, every platform's got multiple ways to use the platform now. It's not as simple as it was before, paid and organic, you know, so it's focus. And hopefully some of the things that we talked about earlier can help with that of just taking a deep breath, taking a step back, thinking as an individual. Now, the fun thing is like you can then go to your partner or friend or whoever uh, and you're on your your phone. I'm just doing work, you know, and you're just (laughs) going through your own feeds but you're researching all the time and, and learning. So I just think it's it's figuring out how to stay focused and not let it get overwhelming. Easier said than done. But, true, you know. very true. <laughs> what yeah. changes in your industry are you starting to see? Or in marketing? It, it goes to what I talked about before. The whole 
15, 30 second video and kind of hacking that and, and knowing that longer form content can work in ads. I don't say that's a change in the market, but I think it's just a, a way of thinking that we have to be more open to, especially as we get more and more tied down to the data and the best practices to try to break through the noise. If you do have compelling content and it's more than a few seconds, it, it can work. So I think it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Okay. And what does the future of marketing look like? It's going to fortunately need to get more human. So I think user generated content, like we're talking about social media set aside our natural gravitation as society is to connect with each other. If we're marketers trying to connect with other people as a brand, you really got to put the people first in front of that. So I just think human focused marketing, you know, you hear about influencers, but then there's also a lot of fake influencers where they're talking about something, but it's not authentic. People are reading into that so quickly now. So it's really about that authenticity and overused term, but it is true and, and humanizing uh, the brands as much as possible. I like that you said that about the fake influencers. People can tell that they're paid influencers. So yeah. I, I feel that's where the whole user-generated content comes in, where it feels more authentic because these people are sharing brand reviews without any expectation. And you see this on TikTok all the time. Yeah. Look at my new vacuum cleaner or whatever it is. But that's what humanizes it. That's what makes it special. That's what makes people engage because it, like you said, it goes back to you trust people. You trust exactly. their reviews. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your career. What person or podcast or book helped shape it? Yeah, so um, this is a deep one for me. So it's going to go down a path that I don't think anyone's ready for. But I'll try my best to keep it short. Honestly, it started when I was a kid. So anytime I was in school, I was, you know, call me the class clown, call me the person that always interrupted the teacher because I always had something to say and making people laugh. I loved being around people. I loved the energy that I would get from learning from other people. I just found it fascinating, even when I was a young kid. And the, the deep part of this, I didn't realize this until a few years ago, but it's totally what shaped who I am today. It was really my upbringing. So my father wasn't really a father. He was physically, mentally abusive to my whole family. And so when I was home, I was trapped. I couldn't really figure out who I was. But when I was in school, I felt like I was free. I got along with everybody in school. So I didn't have any clicks. There was always clicks going around, but I got along with the bullies. And then I helped the bullies leave the, the people that were bullying alone because I liked them. I just always like finding ways to, to connect with people and find the good out of them. So then when I was home, there was no hope there, unfortunately. So fast forward in my early 20s, my father had passed away and I felt like, you know, as a family, we were, for lack of a better term, kind of free, you know, to just be our true selves. And that's when my life was really starting to, I was in college and all that good stuff was going on. So from that point on, I didn't have any path. I just was working in jobs. I was in retail, I was in sales, and I was always still connecting with people. Anytime I could do that, I was thriving in my career. And the worst part of my career was right before I got into my career, which was cold sales, calling people that didn't want to talk to me. It was killing me because I could not find a way to connect with individuals. So I took to social selling, connect with people on LinkedIn that I was trying to call. I provided them with value. They got to see my face on social. They weren't seeing me in phone or email. And it humanized me. This was back in 2008. And that really 
woke me up. Now we have this tool that's been around for a few years that can help me connect with people that I otherwise would have never connected to and share some type of common benefit, you know, like a mutual, I'm going to help you with this. How can I help you with other things? I'm providing value to people. That's that kind of springboarded my career. I got into my next job where they embraced social media and they listened to me and they looked at me as an expert, even though I was just doing this because it made sense. It was something that motivated me intrinsically. In 2000, I started my first social media job. And then from there, three companies later, now I work for a life-saving organization. So, you know, it wasn't just being at the right place at the right time. It wasn't just speaking up when I had an idea on how I could connect more people to each other. It came from something that was deep rooted in my life. I feel like I need to share that with others because if if they can pull that out, hopefully it's in in a more positive way, but if they can pull that out and it's something that is deep rooted within them and that's inspiring them to be marketer, or, or great at whatever they do, it's going to be even more rewarding than just a job or a career. So again, a deeper answer there, but uh, being honest. No, thank you so much for sharing that with me. That's beautiful. And I, I really love that you said that you like to look for the good in people. That's yeah. so beautiful. And I do believe that it's those stories like that, that make you who you are. And if you can find that story, you're unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of unfortunate things that we do need to acknowledge that are not positive that are happening and being elevated on social, but there's also just negativity just for the sake of negativity on social and misinformation just for the sake of that on social. So we also as marketers have our responsibility to make sure that we set the stage for this powerful tool that we have at our fingertips every day to do good in this world. And, And it is possible and Be The Match is a great example of that. But Ever since I got into social media, it has enhanced something that's been deep within me. And I've only focused on positivity through social and connecting with people like you and like-minded individuals that share that drive as well. It it inspires me and it motivates me too. It's full circle. It's not just me putting it out there. It's also me absorbing that from others. And there's a lot of it out there. So we can add to that for sure. There is. And you just reminded me of the word empathy right there. Yeah, I think your story is what shaped your empathy. I mean, you're a brilliant marketer and you can only understand these stories. You can only empathize by having gone through these things. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's not comfortable always, but being vulnerable, because I just wish that if I would have heard some stories like this 10, 15 years ago, I'm happy with where how everything kind of mapped out, you know, in my career and stuff. But I think it would have given me even more confidence that kind of how I was feeling, what was driving me was at the end of the day, it was from a good spot. I turned a negative into a positive. And that's essentially what I'm doing today is on social, you know, yeah, we have people that are unfortunately, you know, dying out there that aren't finding matches. And we're definitely eliminating the bulk of that. We could obviously put that out there all the time. We were focusing on the, the fact that we have control people out there have control over changing this disparity and we're making an impact and that's awesome. Well, Ryan, you are quite an inspiration. I hope whoever's listening to this finds that courage and vulnerability to share their story as well. I think it's so important and it does take a lot, right? So again, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And And on the note of inspiration, who, where, or what do you look for inspiration? Oh my gosh, this one's the easiest one. So definitely my two girls, they are a huge source of inspiration for me because they're 
four and nine and everything I do, I want to make sure that they're inspired by it. Not as annoyed as uh, they probably will be when they're teenagers, but inspired by most of it. So that's a source of inspiration. Another source of inspiration is my mother. You know, she went through a lot, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, she's unfortunately in a long-term care facility now, but I get to see her every week. And again, turning a negative into a positive, no one wants that for anybody they love, but I just want to make sure that I take care of myself as much as possible for my kids uh, so I can be there for them and uh, not have to have them be there for me as much as possible. So you know, probably not giving the traditional answer here, but that is it. I don't have uh, like a Gary that inspires me and I'm glad that he's there for other people. I look at my inner circle as my inspiration. And then for my career, I mean, I'm just inspired by conversations like this. This is the kind of stuff that I love doing because it, it centers me. And at the same time, it also is validating that, yep, 12 years later of this career, I'm definitely still in the right career. I love talking with you and I love talking about stuff like this. Oh, I love hearing that. These conversations for me too, they ground me. They're so different and it's like all these different stories from all these different marketers. And I, I think it's incredible. And just like the idea that we've had a chance to connect. Exactly. You know? It's just so cool. Yeah. Like, like who would have known? If it hadn't been for the pandemic, I don't think we'd be having this conversation right now. Exactly. There's all these things that happen in order to get us connected. I was telling my wife, you know, that, that about this conversation, when you reached out to me, I was telling her about this. And I said, you know, she kind of moderated our panel. And that's how I met her. And I was really grateful for the panel. Everyone was great. I connected with all of them, but that was it. You know, it kind of ended and I was grateful for it. It was a good experience. Then you reached out to me and we were kind of chuckling at it because we always talk about how things do happen and luck is part of it, but luck doesn't happen unless you set the stage for luck. You have to actually set the stage. You have to say yes to being on a panel. You have to get through a pandemic. And even though I would speak at conferences for years all over the globe, I could easily say, I'm not going to do virtual conferences. It's not my thing. That's not me. You know, I've been doing these all the past year and a half and I love them. But, you know, you never know how it's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen next. But if you don't set the stage for it, then, yeah, you're not going to have much to talk about in terms of getting an opportunity like this or getting lucky or whatever you want to call it. People kind of sit around and say, oh, I've heard people got lucky and, and got into this career or that. But they usually set a stage for it. They usually did something to get them that opportunity to get lucky, if you will. Yeah. I have this saying, it's luck is a combination of being at the right place at the right time and putting in the work. Yes. Yes. I wish I would have known that because that's a much better way of saying it. <laughs> no way. Yours is way better. <laughs> All right. So another question for you. What advice do you have for marketers and creatives who look up to you? Well, gosh, I mean, just hearing that, I'm just truly flattered and honored that they look up to me. I have a lot of people that I look up to. I have a colleague on my team that's graduated last year from college. I look up to her. I'm learning stuff from her every single day. She's making me feel old, but I'm learning stuff from her every single day, taking me out of the picture for people that look up to others, including myself. I think the best advice I could give you is leverage that. You know, if you look up to people and you feel like they're authentic and they have that genuine passion, reach out to them. Because, you know, that's one layer to look up to somebody. And obviously, like I said earlier, I get a lot of my inspiration and, and stay up to date on, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and, and other things. If I see something that I agree with or don't agree with or I'm confused about, 
or I just like this person that I'm, I'm, I look up to, I reach out to them. And, and I would hope that they would do the same because if someone reached out to me and said, you know, I look up to, which is so weird to say, but if they said that, I would right away turn that around after thanking them and just ask them questions. You know, what, what specifically interests you about what I do and what drew you to me? I'd be curious, but at the same time, I'd want to learn more about them. And I'd hope that they would have questions for me because what you'll find is when you look up to people, most of the time, the struggles that you're having, they're currently having or they've had, and it can be really comforting to know that you're not alone, but you can look up to somebody and be inspired by them. When you start having conversations with them, you're going to find out that they're just like you in a lot of ways. I think that's going to help not only as a mentor-mentee kind of relationship, but also it's going to help you out in terms of how you navigate all the things that you're going through at that time. So leverage them. Don't just look up to them. Reach out to them. If they truly are someone that are, is authentic and, uh, and passionate, they're going to want to talk to you. I love that. For the record, I look up to you. Thank <laughs> you, you. You are seriously an inspiration. The work that you're doing you. is absolutely amazing. I commend you for everything and your responses you. have been absolutely beautiful and inspiring. So thank you so much. Yes, of course. I know your job. You're at the front lines of saving lives. How do you wind down from a long day of work? Yeah. So what you just said is a very important piece of this because while, as you can imagine, as we all can imagine, there's a lot of stress that happens within marketing because of all the noise and all the shiny objects and FOMO and all these things. So from a traditional marketing perspective, there's a lot, there's a lot of weight on our shoulders to try to figure out how we can move those KPIs forward and, and get things done. But then when you have the additional pressure of lives on the line. I mean, that sounds so crazy, but it, it adds another layer of stress. It, like you never, never feel like what you're doing is good enough. You always feel like you could be doing more. So winding down is a huge piece. Mental health is a huge uh, focus for me that I didn't realize how important it was until I started at Be The Match uh, three and a half years ago. So how I do it? Well, before the pandemic, when I was in the office, which hopefully by next year, I'll be back in the office, uh, I would commute on my bike where I wasn't on social media and stuff. I was actually just riding my bike to work. So great way to get ready for the day, get my mindset for the day. And then at the end of the day, just kind of work through all the stress and also release some of that stress from a little bit of exercise and biking. Haven't been able to do that for a year and a half. So now the two things that I do to unwind primarily are, I have to disconnect from work at the end of the day because I have to be a parent and I'm very grateful for that. So that's just a natural thing that's happening. And then in the mornings, I sort of prepare for my day and also kind of unwind from the previous day. I go for a run in the morning. So I, I do that before everyone's awake. And, and that way I can just kind of have my own time. So you got to figure out no matter how, if you have family, if you have loved ones, if you're around a lot of people, you got to find a way to be selfish and just find time for yourself. And uh, for me, that's four in the morning, which is not normal for a lot of people. Also, time with family is, is really important for me, too, which is my evening routine now. So, yeah, I had to evolve through the pandemic, but just no matter what, find that mental health space for yourself and do what makes you happy outside of what makes you happy and stresses you out. Yeah, be a little selfish. There's nothing wrong yeah. with that. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. And I have one final question for you. Sure. What are you excited or looking forward to? You know, a lot of the things that unfortunately were part of the pandemic, you know, social injustice, things that were unfortunately heightened by the attention that the screens gave us. I'm excited for the fact that 
all the things that we talked about, the positive stuff that can happen in digital marketing and social and all that, I feel like our future generations, Gen Z, whatever you want to call them, the future generation is really motivated by the world that we live in right now. They have a voice. And the thing about different generations, the one thing that I love about Gen Z that I'm excited about is their, their, their constant desire for individuality. At the core of it, it's about figuring out who they are as an individual and the choices that they make and the things that they do by say whatever it is is all part of their individuality so as marketers what i'm excited about is being able to acknowledge that and know this is the future generation they're already up to 24 25 years of age so they're already out of school that's actually our target market for people that we try to recruit to the registry it's based on age and, and biology from a sales perspective, marketing perspective, they're the future generation of people that we're going to market to. And everything that we talked about goes right to that. If we focus on that user-generated content, that humanization, that authenticity, all those things that we've been kind of using as buzzwords over the past several years, we really hone in and fine-tune those skills. We are going to speak to their individuality and we can sell products, services, missions that that define those individuals. You think about the power of those individuals speaking about what drives them and what motivates them and why they said yes to this registry or said yes to this brand, that's going to have a lot more staying power than sort of the current state, like we were talking about of paying for influencers and all that stuff. So I'm excited about authenticity. I'm excited about individuality. There's a lot of other things I'm excited about because I'm a very optimistic person but I'll just keep it at marketing for the sake of this interview. <laughs> Thank you. I do think Gen Z is definitely the generation to be looking at right now. Yeah. It, they have such a powerful voice and yeah. brands need to stay on top of that. Otherwise they will fall behind and we don't want that. Yeah. Well, Ryan, that's it for our conversation. I had such a wonderful time speaking with you today. It was a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights. And I really hope we can do this again. Yeah. You say the word or the tweet and I will be there. This was it's like therapy for me. This was great. Thank you for listening to Future of Marketing. Future of Marketing is a companion podcast to the acclaimed Future of Marketing newsletter. More than 20,000 marketing leaders find resources, strategies, and analysis in this free weekly blast. Sign up today at futureofmarketing.tintup.com. Your likes, reviews, and shares help us grow. Please rate us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until next time, keep your eyes on the future of marketing.